name is Lauren. My story, well, I was raised in a loving Catholic home, which brought me a really strong theological education that I'm very grateful for. But at the age of 18, I tragically lost my father and left that all behind. Years later, through loss, loss, and more loss, I found myself stripped of everything but myself. I really started asking questions about what my purpose was in life. God was hunting me down. Around this time, he planted someone in my life who introduced me to sermons that I could really understand and relate to, as well as Mountain View Church, all of you, and Jeremy's preaching. My heart and my eyes really started focusing in. Through time, I found forgiveness in my sins, but although I accepted Jesus, I didn't know him experientially. I had been going through a prolonged sickness, which led me to be at home a lot in isolation, and if that wasn't enough, the last sort of brick that was holding me up toppled over. Despite all this, I remained faithful that it would be okay somehow. I really started praying and asking God for help, and on a Friday night while at home watching a sermon, I remember 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verses 26 to 28 about God choosing the weak, the low, the despised. And in that moment, God chose to give me everything. I remember scanning my body for the pain that I knew all too well to find that it was gone. I felt light, giddy, full of love and hope. It was one of the happiest moments of my life. So why am I getting baptized? Well, to share this great news with all of you and to let people know what God did through me and for me. Jesus plus nothing truly equaled everything for me. That story is from Lauren Blackburn, amazing gal, and that was her baptism video from uh, April, from Easter. She got baptized on Easter, and um, it's kind of given an update on and, and kind of how she came to know Jesus. You see, in Lauren's life, cerebrally, in her mind, she, she knew Jesus, she had learned about Jesus, she believed in Jesus, you know, she understood forgiveness of sins, but there was a component of her life that she kind of fully hadn't s- submitted to him. And uh, if you don't know kind of the fullness of Lauren's story, she got an illness that really doctors, her doctor just couldn't place what it was. Uh, it was a lot of deep joint pain, um, some, some headaches and things and vision problems, which kept her from working. And, and in the moment that she was talking about, she had actually been bedridden for three weeks. And all she could do, she didn't know what to do. She was just listening to sermons. And when her eyes weren't bothering her, watching sermons and and. She believed, she knew what was going on, but there was a moment there where she fully submitted everything. She was undone. There was nothing more in life she could do. Fully burdened, bedridden, no one else was with her. She was isolated. But in that moment, she realized that Jesus was there. And she fully submitted her life to Jesus. And she said, if you're, you know, if you're just here with me, then I'm just gonna be with you. And that was kind of the last you know, the last moment, the last thing in her life, as she says, I knew him intellectually, but I didn't know him experientially. And in that moment, she fully gave her life to Jesus. She was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she talks about it. It says, you know, I felt a calm and a peace and a presence of God that I had never felt before. And it wasn't until about five, 10 minutes later that she scanned her body and she realized all the pain was gone. And since then, so, you know, she's a geologist. She's up in the mines. Uh, she's got a great story. You know, she's a young gal. She's, she's not very tall, pretty, pretty small gal, and she manages this giant crew of men up in the mines, which I love. Let's just be real. So good. And she's back to work. She's working, and she actually went for a check with the doctor, does not know 
where the illness went to other than she says, I fully gave my life to Jesus and for some reason he chose to take it away. And it's easy for us to think, right, in this story that, that we want, why won't, you know, intellectually we say, well, why didn't Jesus just heal her and then she would have given her life to him? Like, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? She'll accept the forgiveness of sins and she'll have faith in Jesus if he takes away her problem. And a lot of times we look at faith like that and it has everything to do with today's message. We're going through a series called Gospel of Conflict, looking at the Gospel of Mark and looking at the things that Jesus says and does and the conflict that he brings to both authorities, to the supernatural world, to to people, to individuals, and then looking at it for us, the the crazy things that Jesus says and does that we have to reconcile with and it it could sometimes bring an inner conflict in our hearts. And so today... We're looking at Mark 2. If you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible under the seats in front of you. And um, I would ask that uh, if you don't have a Bible app, but you have a cell phone, you have a mobile device, why not download a Bible app? The guest Wi-Fi is there. And then you can have the Bible literally everywhere you go. And every time you have a moment, every time you have a question, you just open that app and you can just type it in the search And you can have that answer, or maybe through the week, you can actually look up this passage and say, you know, what was it again we read? What was that thing, you know, from Mark 2? What is it that Jesus said again? And you can always have it there with you. So it's great if you have a physical Bible. That's awesome. Love it. But sometimes we don't have our Bible with us, but we'll always have our phone with us. So this is a great way. So I encourage you to do that. We're in the, the book of Mark. It's been the last third of your Bible. Um, If you see there, this is the Old Testament. The last third is the New Testament. And it starts with Matthew and then goes to Mark. So we're in Mark 2. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. Here we go. Here's what it says. And when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together. So that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above them. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioned in their hearts. Why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, within this, there's two primary conflicts that come up in this passage. Um, The first, 
Uh, the first primary conflict is a conflict of faith that is really surrounded about these friends of the paralytic. What does faith look like? And in particular, what is faith, not stationary faith, but faith in action, what does it look like? But then there's a secondary, uh, and this is a, a societal conflict, but then there's a second big conflict, and it's a supernatural one. And it's whether or not, you know, what's greater? What Jesus asked, what is greater? Is it, is it forgiving sins or is it healing someone? What's the greater miracle? But then also within that secondary conflict of the supernatural, we have a side conflict that happens with the authorities. The scribes are these religious leaders at that time, and Jesus is kind of questioning their authority or kind of using his authority over them. So we're going to unpack these. So the first, the first primary conflict, uh, primary conflict this one it's a societal conflict and it's found in mark 2 5 where jesus it says uh he he says and when jesus saw their faith so the faith of these three men when he saw their faith he says to the paralytic uh the paralyzed man he says son your sins are forgiven he was motivated to forgive the sins of the paralyzed man because of the faith of these people now if you think about this for a moment, this is why uh, this is kind of breaking societal norms. If we think of the first century in society, a paralyzed person has no value in first century. They often become beggars and they get whatever scraps people throw to them. There is not a consideration in the first century. We're in a better spot with people with disabilities now than they were back then. And so the first societal norm that's different is that these friends loved him. Maybe this paralyzed man obviously was so kind and such a great friend that these four men are compelled by compassion. We got to do something for our friend. But then they're even greater compelled by faith because they, they believe in their hearts. If we can get our friend to Jesus, then it'll be okay. They believe that Jesus had the power to heal their friend. And they were such good friends, such faithful and compassionate friends, they were willing to do anything to get to him. So the first thing is they care about this guy, but now, now it gets just crazy. Because now they're going to they're gonna climb up on the roof because they couldn't get to him. And in that first century roof, maybe it's a stucco, maybe it's some sort of organic material, but they've actually got to cut a hole out of some sorts. They've, they have to remove the roof and big enough that a mat that a man's laying on it can, can lower through. They got to connect ropes. They had to get up there. This is, there's forethought in this. This isn't just like, oh, maybe here's an idea. It was, okay, guys, we got to get him to Jesus. What are we going to do? And somehow this little group of men said, okay, this is it. And imagine the, the paralyzed man, he's probably thinking like, guys, it's, it's okay. It, you know, it's not going to happen. Maybe another time. But these guys are like, no, Jesus can heal you, man. We're going to do this we're going to drop you through the roof. We're going to go all mission impossible. Boom, dun, dun, right? And so they do this, and Jesus' response is like, well played, fellas, well played. Now this is faith. These guys have so much faith that they just need to get his friend, their friend, in front of my face that they'll be healed. But Jesus goes once further, and he says, your sins are forgiven, and we're going to get there in a minute. But for me, I, it, it causes us to, to question, you know, what social norms are we willing to break for our faith? What does society say? No, this is normal behavior. This is how you do it. What in the church is normal behavior? This is what you do in church. 
and don't go outside of that bubble, don't break those norms. But if the reason we break the societal norms or church norms for faith, where we believe that Jesus will do something greater for us, that there's a greater reward, the risk is high, like for these guys, we're gonna have to pay for this roof or somehow fix it. I, I don't know if we're gonna get sued here. I don't, I, I don't know what the criminal punishment under the law is for ripping apart someone's roof. It's probably not good in the first century. What kind of risk do they have? But the reward was greater. And you know, this whole thing, it, it, it kinda, it made me think of my wife. My wife's name is Nicole, if you haven't met her. And uh, she is extremely gifted gal. She's a homeschool mom. I have three boys. And my two older elementary boys, she kind of, she teaches at homeschool. And then I have a three-year-old son who is a blessing in surprise. And, and so she's always trying to like wrangle him. So it's kind of like teaching two and like hurting one. And so, you know, Mark had a broken arm a couple weeks ago. You guys saw that. This weekend, he was booting it down a hill. He landed face forward. Mark, little Mark, he has like no skin here and no skin on his forehead. He's just going, she's always like, she's like got to protect him for herself. So she's an amazing gal, but gifted in particular, very, very gifted in the ages zero to three. And no matter where we've been in church, even before I was in ministry and after, she has always chosen to serve that zero to three world because she's passionate about that and she's great at it. And uh, there was a there was there was a norm that we faced every time she's kind of come into this this scenario. And I remember once in Calgary, we're coming to a church, and zero to three, and zero to three was always like, you're just you're just gonna let just make sure the kids don't hurt themselves, but just let them run around in the area. And that would have been fine. And Nicole would have been serving and helping out in children, and is great. But what I love about her is she believes that you need to go to the next level even with the youngest kids. And she's like, no, we need some sort of curriculum. We need to teach them about Jesus. We need to teach them about God and, and his love. And, oh, they're only little. Yeah, we do that once they get three and then they get in the preschool thing, but do we really need to do that now? And she says, yes. And just this weekend, she was telling me that last week, there was, there was, she was starting to see fruit of that. And so she's implemented this idea going beyond what is expected She's expected the norm is just childcare with zero to three. But she has gone past it and she serves past that. And she wants to teach them something, creating songs in it and things like that and gets these things. And so in Explorers right now are little kids. So they're going through and they sing this little song. It's really catchy, you know. And it's, it's like God created things. So like last week was God made the cows. So it's like God made the cows, God made the cows. I'm so happy, very happy, God made the cows. And like this week, it's like, if there had been explorers, <laughs> hey kids, <laughs> we're running low on volunteers. Have I said we're running low on volunteers? Think about, pray, or pray about whether or not you could serve our kids. And so this week would have been horses. It's gonna be next week, obviously. You know, God loves horses, God loves horses. You know, I'm so happy, very happy, God loves horses, okay, right? And so, but last week for the first time, so it's the same tune and it's a different thing that God created and she has little stuffed animals and everything. And last week, there's like this one-year-old that all of a sudden just starts singing clearly and fully gets it and fully understands. And so there, it's like going outside of the norm. The norm for zero to three is just, is just childcare. But what does it look like if we volunteer for Jesus or we do more, we dig in more, we, we push more? Jesus can reward us with these amazing things. And now these kids are learning about creation at zero to three 
right? When the norm is just, just wrangle them and they'll learn about God's creation once they're in preschool. But like, no, they can learn now. A one-year-old can start to comprehend that, that God, that Jesus is our God. And so this goes for every single area of ministry. That the norms are often what we do as regular baseline. I will have this commitment level. I would just get there. This is the concept of the guys, you know, serving this paralytic. They come to the door. Sorry, pal. We were ready for you. We were going to do it, but we can't get in. Sorry. But then there's next level. And so for all of us, the, the faith in action is wherever we're called to serve. And I don't know where you're called to serve. Some of you are guests here. But what's next level? Are you just going to attend church? You're just going to be in the crowd, in the society, and you're going, oh yeah, I'm listening to Jesus' teaching. Or am I going to check in? Am I going to serve? And I'm going to go next level. Am I going to have radical faith in action where I think outside the box, where I use my creativity, where I use things? And this is the real conflict of faith. Secondary conflict. And this is the big one. Jesus says in verse 9, he says, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. Here's why this is such a huge supernatural conflict. Because if Jesus can just say, rise, take up your bed and walk, if he could say that, that's nothing to do. A, a human being do a miracle, keep in mind, this is first century Jewish audience, they have a whole Old Testament full of prophets that obeyed God and did miracles. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus did miracles, but in their world, it's nothing new. And, and see what Jesus is saying here, there's this, if I heal, is this the greater thing? If I say, rise, take up your bed, walk. Okay, he's a prophet. But Jesus goes next level. Because if Jesus, if Jesus can forgive sins, if Jesus can forgive sins, that means that he's the Messiah. He's the one they've been waiting. That the whole Old Testament been leading up to this moment to the Messiah, the Son of God. If he just heals, no big thing. It's a big thing, but not a big thing. He forgives sins. This is huge. And this, this is also a bit of foreshadowing too, because later on in the Gospels, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to actually turn to his disciples. You know, soon he's, his time of crucifixion and resurrection is coming, and he's going to say, who do people say I am? And he's going to ask them this question, and they're going to say, some say a prophet, some say this, some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist. But then he says, who do you say I am? And Peter actually speaks up, he says, you're the Christ, son of the most high, the son of God. And, on, and because of that answer, because of that, that belief that he knew he was greater than a prophet, this is, this is all new, Jesus is all new, he's changing the scene. Jesus actually, you know, Peter's going to become the one that starts the church and he's going to end up building the church and becoming what would be us now here today. And so this is all foreshadowing. But, but there's this secondary conflict in what it's saying. For those of you who don't know, the scribes, uh, sometimes there's other groups, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. These are the religious leaders of this day, and they hold spiritual control over the people. And, and a lot of times, they spiritually abuse people. They keep them under bondage. They use the, the law of God to hold them down and keep them down and to oppress them. And so they know enough. If, if Jesus had just healed the man, they might have said in their hearts, like, eh man, this guy, there's something to this guy. But again, they've seen this before. There's always been the priests and the law and the Levites, and then there's been prophets. And so if there's prophets, they kind of do the miraculous thing. They come and then they go. 
So they just need to hold out. Jesus is going to be here for a while and then he's going to leave if he's a prophet. And they'll continue to have control. But here's the difference. When Jesus, if Jesus says, if Jesus now says uh, that he forgives sins, this is a massive threat to them. Even though they know, they know that the Messiah is coming, they're expecting the Messiah, but again, remember from last week, they're expecting a political military leader that's gonna wipe out the Roman Empire, and Jesus isn't doing that. So they're like, oh, he can't be the Messiah. But now all of a sudden, he's claiming to forgive sins. Because before, if he's a prophet, he's just accessing God's authority. But now, when he actually says, your sins are forgiven, he now holds God's authority. And Jesus says a little bit, he, he uses the term son of man, which is kind of tricky because he said something that would say that he's God, but then he doesn't go right out and say son of God. He says son of man. So the scribes can't directly claim blasphemy that he said he said he's the son of God, but Jesus isn't lying because he is fully human being, fully man, and yet he's fully God, not half and half. Jesus is both. He is fully man and fully God. So he's speaking truth but by not saying he's son of God, these authoritative figures, these scribes, they're perplexed. Moreover, he's done a second miracle here because he's read their minds. So that's a little sketchy. What about for us though? So the big question for us is, can Jesus forgive my sins? If Jesus Christ is just a prophet, you know, maybe he'll heal us, maybe he'll do a miracle. Who, who knows? Maybe, maybe he'll do it in God's power, maybe in, you know, dark powers. There's lots of crazy stuff that happens in the spiritual realm that I don't know, uh, I can't explain. Or is he the son of God? You see, because for us, why we have to ask that question, even for those of us that, that have been Christians a long time, we can get stuck thinking about uh, the, the miracle. So let's just say healing. Most of us uh, have had some sort of ailment at some point and wanted God to heal or prayed for it to heal. Some of us have struggled with addiction. Some of us have other problems. Some of us have debt or financial problems. There's all sorts of addictions, illnesses, problems, struggles, strife in our life. And, and all of us often will pray that Jesus takes it away. We pray for healing, which is a great thing. I think we should pray and ask God for healing. But what happens is, is we start to think that the miracle on earth is the greater miracle. And it's right back to us being in the position of the crowd. We would assume, yeah, healing's the big miracle. Go ahead, do it. But Jesus forgives the man's sins first and then heals him. And this is super important for us because Jesus understands that, that if, we, if we get healed, if, let's say that paralyzed man, if he's healed, it doesn't change where he's going. And as he walks along in life, eventually he's going to get to his end of his life. And, you know, I just hit 40 and things start to hurt a little bit. I hear from some of the elders that once you hit like 60, 65, things start to hurt a real lot. And, and it's what's happening is your body is starting to shut down before your heart actually stops. And, and, and eventually, you're going to either be in a wheelchair, you're going to be bedridden, but, you know, this paralyzed guy might actually be paralyzed just from old age. He's just going to be back in a bed before he dies. And so healing is always temporal. All the earthly miracles are always temporal. And this is what Jesus is trying to get us to understand. This is the inner conflict. Do we believe it? Do we believe 
that the forgiveness of sins is the greater miracle because forgiving his sins, when the body decays and, and it's in the ground, the soul goes on to the next life. Healing is temporal, but, but forgiveness of sins, this is eternal. And each one of us, myself included, I have to think about, I have to pause and say, do I fully understand? Have I fully submitted my life to the point where I understand that Jesus forgiving my sins is the greatest miracle ever completed? Do I really get it? Scripture says that he's removed our sins or our transgressions, the wrong we've done as far as the east is from the west. That means, and sorry to any flat earthers out there, this isn't, you're not gonna like this. Skip ahead like five minutes. Um, um, or read the Bible. Uh, so as far as east is west, you can, you can go, if you go east, if you go east in this world, you can go east, you go east, you go east, you know what you never do? Go west. And if you go west, you go west, you go west, you go west, you know what you never go? East. But if you go north, you go south. If you go south, you go north. This is why in scripture it said, he has removed your transgressions, your sins. Your sins have been forgiven and they have been removed from you. All that shame, the guilt, the heartache of all the skeletons in your closet, he has removed them as far as the east is from the west. In other words, they keep going and they will never ever meet, them, meet each other. You're going east, sins are going west because of Jesus and you're never gonna run into each other. They're gone. And sometimes I, I wonder if we really comprehend that. Like if we really get how miraculous that is. And, and if we do, then it's good to be reminded of that. And I think this is what's so important about Lauren's story is she had been raised understanding things. In the mind, she got it. She, she knew who Jesus was. She knew who Jesus, you know, what he did. But there was a moment where she was totally undone, where she was totally broken, where she finally had to fully say, Jesus, I'm all yours. I give everything. I am nothing. And I know that your word promises that you will use the weak and the broken. Well, here I am, weak and broken. In that moment when she finally submitted her life to Jesus wholly, that's when the light turned on. And then Jesus chose to heal her as well. Now, I'm not saying, I wish I could say, give your life to Jesus and he's gonna take away your addiction. He's gonna take away your illness. He's gonna take away your debt. He's gonna, I wish I could say that. He might, but he might not. He knows your heart and I don't. But it doesn't separate that the, that the forgiveness of sins is the greatest miracle the world has ever known. That we can access a holy God through Jesus. And so, today, We just want to ask the question, can Jesus forgive my sins? Each one of us, me included. Can Jesus forgive my sins? Do I believe it? I can, and not to say flippantly yes, do I believe it? it? Will I give Jesus my illness or my entire life? What am I holding on to that I haven't fully laid down? What, what, how reckless will my faith be? Will I leave social norms and fully abandon my life for Jesus? Fully lay it down.